Hello, Milton Jones. Hello, how are you? Very well, thank you. Mm. It's nice to have you here. It's also really nice to meet you because you were one of the first stand-ups that I saw. And also, and I don't know if I should admit this to you, but it was the first year I went to Edinburgh and my best friend came up and was basically in love with you. And so we spent most oh, no. of the festival hanging around the Pleasance oh, no. and then going, he's here, he's here. <laughs> and then she would walk up and walk towards you and then straight past. Oh, shame. And so I've mildly stalked you So you're you slightly angry with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was more like I just thought, you know, if I look familiar, but you feel nervous right, when yes, you look at me. You've been in my garden. And, uh, <laughs> but we, she dragged us along to come and see the show and I just loved it and was going, okay. stand-up's amazing, this is awesome. Uh, but that was in, 97 so that was yep. the year before that you won the Perrier Best Newcomer yes and then that year you were nominated yes alongside it's amazing the list Graham I Norton know, yeah. and Al Murray Johnny Vegas mm. and then League of Gentlemen yeah who went on to win it yeah. but you weren't am I right in thinking you originally didn't think you were going to do stand-up you were planning to be an actor I'm briefly interrupting to let you know that I'm Marsha from yesyesmarsha.com and this is from a series of interviews that I did from 2009 to 2011 called Marsha Meets, which were long-form interviews with stand-up comedians that eventually inspired the book Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. That book's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. Back to the interview. You were planning to be an actor. That's right. Years ago, I trained at Middlesex University, as it is now, and uh, I wanted to be a proper actor-actor. And I did a little bit, but I wasn't working very much. But stand-up something you can do really quickly if you get up and do it. So how did you start doing it in the first place? I, well, I was literally unemployed and there was a club down the road. And I thought, I'll book myself in and I shall be able to prepare a script and tell these people, you know, some jokes. Of course, it was all a lot harder than that because, you know, they shouted things back. And it took me several years to unlearn that fourth wall thing. And to just be able to look people in the eye and talk to them. Because obviously the worst thing you can do is, is carry on as if it is a script. And big laughs are to be got out of interaction if you can do it. Also, what happened was I used to go and do it as myself. I just wander up and do the same sort of jokes. Sometimes it would really work well. Then other times it would just, you know, you do Essex on a Monday night and it's sort of blokes. And a sort of slightly posh looking bloke gets up and starts using wordplay. It's not going to work. However, I found if you stick your hair up, put on a silly jumper... And they go, oh, he's mad. It's all right. Suddenly, it's a great big signpost. And it feels a lot you know, less threatening, I suppose. And also that tied into me being an actor. So I'm playing a part now, so that's that's all right. And suddenly, that was when it began to click, really. When you first started doing it, because your stand-up is very, you do one-liners. Mm. But did you start doing that or did you do straight stand-up when you first started? It was a bit of everything when I started. I had some one-liners and then I had some stories and then I read a bit. Poems. Everyone starts with a few poems, don't they? But it wasn't anything particular. And as you know, people want to know when they come to you, what they're booking. What is it that you will give to a bill? And gradually my one-liners began to get better and the other stuff poured away. I mean, the trouble with one-liners, of course, it takes a lot of writing and about 10 seconds to say. And then you're on to the next one, you know. But that's what has happened for me. I've always wondered with that, you must have to remember so much. Yeah, I do remember them in blocks, though. If you were to see me two nights running, sounds like you did, um, (laughs) you'd notice that the same ones were together even though they might not have any apparent link, because I just remember them in threes, really. And the blocks move around, but not the things that are next to each other. And sometimes I just forget them, to be honest. But then I, that was the great thing about not doing acting, is if you're in Shakespeare or something, you've got to say the right words. Whereas actually, sometimes I go, oh, I can't remember. We'll do this one until I remember the other one. 
you know. And I can sort of go above myself and think, okay, you're doing that now, Rob, what's next? Uh, yeah, let's do that, you know, and almost have an alter ego above myself, sort of pushing flags on a map around, you know, jokes on a script. I mean, it's dangerous because if you're not living it at the time, and then you look as if you're dead behind the eyes and that's that's the worst thing really but can you get away with that more if you've got that slightly big head yeah it's a, it's a, I think it was Ross Noble said to me you know it's alright for you if anything you forget anything and you just go like that and everyone goes yeah it's part of the character it's alright and that's true to something so pull a face and, and I can get away with it for a while but if I mess up halfway through a one liner then that's not good how were your early kicks do you remember your first ever kick it depends what you you mean paid gig or first open spot I guess first yeah first ever standing up in front of people and telling jokes I think uh, it's all a bit of a blur but I think I changed my name at the last minute which is probably a good thing and then I decided to improvise once I got up there which is the worst thing ever I mean by all means improvise in between bits that you know work but just to get up and think oh I'll think of something when I get there and it was awful. I mean, just people, they didn't even boo, they just started talking. And I went home and cried into a pillow. Yeah. <laughs> but you came back? Yeah, I came, but two years later, it took two years for me really? to come back. Yeah. Wow, that's a big gap. Yeah, well, it was just too painful. So what was it that made you decide to come back? Because I wasn't good at anything else, particularly I wasn't working acting-wise. And it sort of, it was like a challenge, you know, a dare that I hadn't done it properly. And I'd done stuff at college and stuff that had gone really well. But it's such a leap from doing stuff for friends and people who know you to strangers who need to be convinced but I still felt that I hadn't given it as full uh, but it took me years to get a proper style did it because mm. I was doing bits of everything and it wasn't until I stuck my hair up and thought of it as a third person rather than myself that I thought oh yeah I can write for that idiot and that's what I began to do when was that that it turned around I started gigs in 89 and I won best newcomer in 96 all right wow was that your first year in Edinburgh that 96 um, I'd done sketchy sort of thing in 89 or 90 I forget, it was, I'd been to Edinburgh before once, uh, but 96 was the first proper full show that I'd done. But it's all changed a lot even since then. So it's all far more competition-led now. Stand-up's a course at university, for goodness sake. And it's like a career option. It used to be alternative, but it's so mainstream now. And I miss the kind of the adventure of the old acts that used to turn up and just be terrible. You can't do that now. Really? Because I sort of almost feel like in some ways that happens more because everyone, because of the courses and stuff, a lot of people think they can do it. Yeah, but where are the people who set their genitals on fire? You know, in the old days, there was a chap called the Iceman who who used to bring a massive block of ice and he had a blowtorch and he'd just melt it on stage. And everyone would go, and then he'd be booed off and then cheered on again for an encore. And there's a lot more banter between audience and... A lot of stuff I think now has stopped because of health and safety and things like that, certainly the fires and uh, some of the sword swallowing and stuff. It, did, it had more of an edge to it in the old days, I think, whereas I think technique is better now. You know, microphone technique, we're all a bit more American now because so, it's our career. And can you see a difference that that's made in terms of audiences, in terms of who comes to come and see comedy? Well, I think because it's more mainstream, the audiences are literally more mainstream because it's more on telly, it's more of a night out. And also people are older, the teenagers who went to stand-up in the 80s are now 40-something, and they don't see it as an alternative thing to do. It's just what they did when they were younger. And then you've got the fusion of... Well, people became disillusioned with politics as well in the 90s. Whereas during the 80s, it was far more like Jeremy Hardy and uh, uh, Simon Fanshawe, and people were doing political stuff. Whereas there are a few people who do it now, but not that many. It's mainly panel games and stuff that do politics. It's not because... Politicians tend to satirise themselves quite well enough at the moment, I think. And there are people like me who tell gags. It would have been quite hard to tell gags in the 80s, I think. I think people have gone, ah, this is, this is old-time, 
you know, even if you weren't doing mother-in-law gags or Irish stuff, it would have been harder to do gags, I think. And how about now compared to, say, when you won the Perrier? It feels like things are slightly shifting mm. again now in the in terms of the success of TV shows like yeah. Mock the Week, yeah, which Mock you were on, and even the Michael McIntyre yeah, yeah. and that sort of thing. Does it feel like a... Sort of. I mean, it's gone through a weird cycle, and I think these things are cyclical, and give a couple of years, everyone go, oh, no, stand-ups let us down again, and we're on to something else. Because about 1990, the mid-90s, like Sean Hughes had a show, Jack Dee had a show. There were quite a few stand-ups who sort of got into television, but it never really got much further than the live stand-up. When it translated into a sitcom and stuff, it didn't really work. So we're now, I think, back in those days where people have got their own show with live comedy. And it does sort of work, but it is limited. TV is like a charisma filter, and it takes a lot of the edge off what people are doing on stage. And the words stand up on their own, but you assume when you see something on television that it's been scripted. Or if you're sitting beside your mate and your mate gets picked on, and it's pretty accurate, that's funny. But you can't translate that on TV. And so there are real limitations with, I mean, Live at the Apollo as well is another big one. And it's really just simple stand-up. But I don't think it can be taken further than that with those people. I don't, you know, it's a different art, writing a sitcom is a different art form than putting a load of jokes together. It's um, more about character and stuff. Well, you've done a bunch of different things like that. I mean, Mm. first of all, you kind of started doing bits of radio and bits of TV about Mm. the same time, didn't you? Which Mm. is around the time of the Perrier. Yes, yes. uh, Newcomer. Yeah. Radio, first of all. You kind of did bits and bobs on other people's shows like Mm. John Shuttleworth and Phil Jupiter's and then you started your own show. On Radio 4? Yes. Now, eventually, after much badgering away at the BBC, we got uh, our own show. And it was stand-up and sketches, very well done, Milton Jones. And we did three of those. And then we did The House of Milton Jones. And now we've, we're just about to do the fourth, another case of Milton Jones. And uh, the thing about radio is a lot of writing. Because you can't go, hey, where are you from? And pull faces. It's just words into a black hole. And I was uh, writing an episode of the last series and thinking, this is the third episode I've based in Russia. I just can't keep on doing this stuff. I mean, it's fun to do because it's a different audience. It's people making their supper. It's people driving home who wouldn't go to a club in a million years. And there are no stag nights. And then it's all very radio for and quite posh. And at the end of the episode, the continuity announcer sort of takes your, your show like an old sock and says, well, if you you possibly want to see that again listen to that again then there's one again next week it all feels so middle england and right for being silly on and also some of the kids turn up to horrible clubs that and i'm on at can you notice the difference in the well if they're allowed in that's one of the problems that they assume they're going to be allowed in and sometimes it's over 18s only but yes no you can usually spot a radio listener in the middle of a watford jonglers yeah yeah you can but i quite like that that when i do my own show when i go out on tour myself there'll be a family there and there'll be like 70-year-olds and a seven-year-old who put his hand up halfway through. Or I did the show a few years ago and this girl started, she was about five. She started talking to me halfway through about something. So I talked to her for a bit and then right at the end of the show, I said, uh, and so how are you doing, Rebecca or whatever her name was? And her mum said, she's asleep. <laughs> oh, great. The ultimate heckle. There's no way I could come back. She's only five. Yes. Thanks a lot. Generally, aside from the five-year-olds, do you find your radio fans enjoy the stand-up stuff? Is it odd for them? Yes. I think, I'm not sure some of them have thought it through in the sense they hear me on the radio and think, well, what am I doing the rest of the time? You know, <laughs> they should know that that won't pay me enough money. And when they see me actually do stand-up, it's a sort of a bit of a surprise, actually, because a lot of people think I'm older than I am in that they assume that the voice, I don't know, is 50, 60 or something. And then they see me go, oh, were you with young people? And what's going on here? And that's all quite odd. But I also get people in clubs surprised that I'm on the radio. because they, they can't quite see how that would work. 
but it's nice when the two worlds come together. They've just repeated the last series in another case of Milton Jones. Yes. And you, do you know when the next one is going to... Have you finished writing it already? No, I haven't, haven't recorded it yet. I mean, the trouble is, sometimes when we record it, it's different to when it goes out. So I expect we'll record it early next year, and I think it may not go out till April. But they may change their minds. Once they've got it, they may something else may fail horribly, and then they put it on quickly, so we'll see. And you've also done a bunch of different TV things, kind mm. of, again, sort of bits and bobs. And you did this show on Sky One, The Strangerers. Yeah, that yeah. Was, it was the guy from... Red Dwarf who wrote it and yep. it was kind of a bit of a like Mork and Mindy yeah, type yeah. in terms of mm. alien people pretending mm. to be yeah. uh, but it looked like it was really fun well it was fun to do it was quite scary to do in that the language that Rob Grant wrote who wrote Red Dwarf wrote for it it wasn't English it was it sounded like English but it had all the verbs in the wrong place they were those spacemen come down and trying to be human so there was no way of learning it in a logical sense you had to just learn it phonetically and then he'd come up to you on the day and say, actually, can you change that word and put that at the beginning? Because you learned it phonetically. I used to avoid him on set because I knew he'd change things, you know, and I'd, I'd then fluff it in front of everyone. So I had to avoid him. But yes, it was funny. I mean, it was um, Mark, um, what's his name? Oh, There were lots of famous people in it. And I felt like I was bluffing my way through, you know, to the stand-up who... Um, was doing bits of it. I'd love to do more bits of acting though. Would you as yeah, the yeah. drama student still? Yeah, within... sort of. I mean, mind you, when I am acting, I think, oh, I'm a stand-up. And when, when I'm a stand-up, I think, oh, I'm an actor, really. Uh, but I think I've done far too much stand-up now to be call myself an actor. I have far too little acting to call myself an actor. But there's a different attitude too with performers in that actors spend their lives writing to directors to come and see them in something. Whereas stand-ups all sort of see themselves as iconoclastic mavericks and the world is lucky to hear them speak and will therefore walk on stage eating a kebab and just, you know, whereas an actor will spend ages warming up and blah, 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 and just giving his best and 100% and very much part of a team. Whereas I've seen stand-ups be in plays and just go, can't remember my next line and go for the laughs, you know, which is an appalling thing to do if actors are working with you because that's the thing that freaks them, the breaking down of that thing but stand-ups don't have the fear of being on stage that's the problem i mean it's good if you're a stand-up it's a problem if you're in a play because there's no adrenaline to keep it focused am i right in thinking you've got a tv show i've done a dvd which may end up on telly which is coming out in some form is it stand-up stuff or yeah it's stand-up it's called milton jones the universe tour part one earth and it's me in theory traveling the world but it was actually just filmed in one theater so it stops and starts ray it's great to be here in america ray american jokes it's great to be here in france French jokes but it's great to be here so the audience are all in on the joke one other TV thing you did that's really random was ITV's An Evening with Joan Rivers yeah no that is quite odd and it was quite scary to do actually because it was a live show this is last year and it was Joan Rivers was the host but as you know she just goes off you know they had it all scripted and then she was fine in rehearsal when it came to the show she just started making stuff up. And you could see these execs just going, go, what? pointing at the clock, going, uh, but I was on next. That was the odd thing as well. And they said beforehand, um, look, it'll be between six and eight minutes. Don't know, we'll tell you just before, which is stressful enough on live TV. But then she went off on one. And so you're thinking, am I cancelled? Am I on? Do I do 10? You know, and just before I went, six and a half, go. But it's just really hard to do because it was boys' own fans were mainly the audience. Wasn't there boys' own and Tom Jones mm. yeah, was yeah. on it? Did you know her? Like, how did you? No. But, but didn't she? She gave me an intro as if I'd known this guy for ages. I met him in Edinburgh. He's great. She literally hadn't even been introduced to me. So <laughs> I was grateful for the introduction, but it was just a very bizarre evening all round. 
still, when I came off, Ronan Keating said to me, that was great. (laughs) 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 I made it all worthwhile. Out of TV and radio and stand-up, do you have, is it kind of stand-up is your one love and these are the extra things that you sometimes do? I always think that variety is nice and that's the thing that keeps it fresh. I think it's very dangerous to lose doing live stuff in front of people and it's very obvious the second or third series of a TV show isn't as strong because that material hasn't been tried out in front of a real audience. And I think uh, it's difficult to do because once you're off the telly, the audience's expectation increases so it's easier and you don't have to win people over. And I think it's really hard to become a better comic than you were when you left the circuit because you don't have the conflict of having to win an audience over. I think that's... um, There are lots of people who are as good as they were and a lot of people who are not as good as they were, frankly. I uh, did a new material night recently and someone off the telly who shall be nameless turned up with a great big auto cue. No way. Yeah, yeah. (gasps) Where did they put it? Well, just to the side of the stage, right there. Wow. It's really in the spirit of things and just a bit odd. Yeah. And did the audience not notice them flicking their eyes? Yeah, yeah, but it, it was almost as if he was treating it as a radio show or something where... He could read out the stuff and it's just very wow. odd. Did anyone pull him up on it? No, because he was a big name and they were really glad to have him in the club. God, that's so interesting. Yeah. And well done you for keeping it quiet, but now yeah. I'm dying to know who it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, in a similar way, I saw someone at Edinburgh, but it was someone from the TV and it was a kind of compilation show and they were with a lot of people, a lot less famous than them, but who'd been doing stand-up for yeah. a long time. And it was really interesting to see how nervous he was. Yeah, and yeah. you've got people like Adam Hills or, yeah, yeah. or Snowball or whatever, who were so used to doing stand-up yeah. and so confident. Yeah, and yeah. then to be like, here's the super famous guy who's obviously going, oh my God, real people. Are yes, yes, famous. I'm guessing in my head who that was as well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's true. If I don't do it for a month then I'm pretty nervous so if you take a couple of years off especially if you've been on telly people have paid a lot of money for a ticket and you're not fit in terms of having done it and people's expectation is higher I did a benefit with Harry Hill this week and he was still great but I could just feel the expectation in the room really go up as soon as he goes on but if he just trots out what's on the latest DVD they'll go no we've got this so how's he supposed to get the new material without taking the risk to be fair to him he did And lots of it really worked and other bits were okay, but at least he was trying, you know, he could retire if he wanted. So whilst you're doing different projects, do you try and keep your hand in, like doing exercise or something, you try and keep it up? Yeah, definitely. I think writing goes in phases and there's nothing, it's like doing your homework. If you've got a deadline like a tour, then you produce more because you have to. But I try and do as many new material nights as I can because the new bits are the bits I enjoy looking forward to doing. And also, as I say, one line is eats up material so quickly. And because it's slightly quotable, you know, if it was a if it was a story, you couldn't really retell a story. But one-liners, people write lists of them and post them around the internet, and that's it. You know, you're, I mean, Tim Vine, for instance, suffers a lot from that. And uh, you know, if it's quotable, then it does get you know, sent on texts and stuff, which is nice in one way, but not in another because. That's your joke. It's your act. Am I right in thinking you haven't been to Edinburgh to do a show, like your own show for... I went in 2004. Which is but, a while ago now. Yeah, it's a while ago. But before that, I hadn't been since 98. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So how come... Didn't want to go? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, was, I think it's too long. A month is too long for me. So a whole summer gone. And I didn't like the fact that I wouldn't make much money, even though I spent a month working really hard. And I, last time I did get a few things out of it, but each time it was the compilation shows like Best of the Fringe or something where people saw me. So I thought, I might as well just come up and do these shows rather than do my own show. I mean, it is valuable if you're doing a new thing, 
something different, a play or a, Would something. you like to do something like that? Yeah, I would. In fact, I was talking to them about doing School for Scandal this year, the one that went up, but I couldn't do it for some reason. And I would like to in theory, but it needs to be the right thing at the right time. And I don't like the idea of doing something that leads nowhere. I think you have to a plan what you want to get out of Edinburgh, otherwise you won't get anything. So you have to invite the right people and say, we want this and we want that. Otherwise, you'll just spend a month in the rain. So talking about all the different things you've done, you've mentioned you've got this DVD coming out and you've written a book as well. Mm, I know. It's slightly strange that the number of the things I've been doing for the last couple of years have all come together at once to be released. But I've written a book as well. It is a novel, but it is about being a comedian. So it's about a third me, a third people I know and a third stuff I've made up, frankly. And it's basically road trips. It's called Where Do Comedians Go When They Die? Journeys of a Stand-Up long title but it's like uh, road trips throughout the career of a comedian so there's nothing on stage but it's like flashbacks to what's just happened and what's going to happen there's a sort of story running through it do you base it on real things yeah yeah. i even had to leave some things out because i thought that no one would believe that actually oh really yeah so it is you know sometimes on tv when you see sport or even comedy on tv in a film See Mr. Saturday Night or Punchline or something, Tom Hanks. The comedy just looks all wrong. It just looks so staged. Now, it's not a film, but I like to think that it has the air of authenticity about it because lots of things I know happened because I was there. And the type of people that we mix with and, you know, whether it be punters or producers or other acts um, are there for sure. Is there going to be some kind of Kill Your Friends Devil Wears Prada where everyone goes, oh, who do you think that is? Yeah, who do well, you think that is? I've been really careful as much as I can, I mean, to weld bits of people together rather than have one person who is someone. Are there any stories in there that other stand-ups are going to go, oh, I remember that? I don't think it's possible. They might go, oh, there's a bit of that that could be that. But there's no direct ripping off. No, of course there isn't. But, yeah, I'm sure some people will think if they... No, what will happen is comics will only pick it up if they see it in the three for the price of two in Waterstones. But they will want to know if they're in it. As soon as they find out it's all fictional, they go, ah, no. But I bet they'll still read just in case. Mm, and it feels maybe. like a good time for it in that, you know, as we were saying, mm. there are these stand-up shows. They've just had this, the Judd yeah, Apatow yeah. film, Funny People, yeah, yeah. has just come out. Yeah. And there is a kind of real interest for these yeah, things. Yeah. When does it come out? End of October. So it's called Where Do Comedians Go When They Die? Yeah. And you can actually pre-order it on Amazon. Just you now. can. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so you've got that. And then you're also going on this big, long tour. Yeah, yeah. Talking of doing road trips. Maybe collecting more material yeah, for yeah, the next Yeah, yeah, could be. We'll see how it goes. Um, <laughs> tons dates and they're all up so all of the dates for that and the information about the book and about the DVD and everything are all up on your website Mm -hmm. which is miltonjones.com Milton thanks so much for coming no pleasure thanks so much for listening if you like that you'll probably love the book that I put together with Deborah Francis White called Off the Mic the world's best stand-up comedians get serious about comedy so asking them things like what's your writing process how do you find your voice what do you think about touring how do you deal with hecklers we interviewed 42 stand-ups including Eddie Izzard Sarah Millican Phil Jupiter Stuart Lee Mark Maron it's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing if you want to find out more go to yes yes marsha.com forward slash off the mic